Morning all. How are we? Everyone seems set back this morning. I need to say first up that I've uh, been carrying a bit of a throat infection, so if you see me uh, uh, grabbing water every five minutes, that's not because I'm dehydrated, it's just to keep me going. I thought I'd share with you, um, firstly, uh, I got some cards this morning from my kids, and so I'll share briefly what I got. The first one was from, uh, from Tommy, and it said this, uh, why try to improve perfection? Happy Father's Day from your first son. <laughs> the next one said, uh, from my second son, Jack, said, uh, if at first you don't succeed, uh, try again. Happy Father's Day from your second child. And had a nice uh, artwork there of me playing golf uh, with a little arrow pointing to my head that says, no hair. So... And the third and final one was from my daughter, uh, which said, uh, always finish on a high note. Happy Father's Day from your youngest child. So, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Especially the comment about the hair. Uh, very generous. Um, I want to talk about fatherhood this morning, but before I get into the message, uh, actually, firstly, I want to, to honour and thank uh, Mark and Ben and Remo, uh, who uh, on Father's Day were here at, I don't know, eight o'clock in the morning rather than having a sleep in to, to serve us through, through leading worship. So thanks, guys. And uh, Wishy and Tim up the back as, Wishy and Tim up the back as well. Um, but we're going to put together, watch a, a video before I get into the message. So let's have a look at that. Manhood. And uh, that video reveals to us the significant role that men and that fathers have to play in our church and in our families and in our world. And uh, what I'm going to share uh, this morning is, is mostly for fathers, to be honest, that much of the principles that I share will be worth hearing for mothers or just for men or for women or for grandparents or just for people who want to be a blessing in the life of the church in the way that you encourage the children in our church. So there's probably something in this for everyone, but it is mainly for, for fathers. Uh, I don't know if you'd agree with me, I think we live in interesting times. It's interesting times to be a man today. Um, men are... Uh, masculinity uh, is um, in an interesting place. Uh, mas masculinity has been given its own social media hashtag, and that is toxic masculinity. And um, certainly, whether, some would say masculinity is under attack, certainly masculinity is being redefined in society today, as is gender. That's another topic. Uh, it's become uh, politically incorrect, highly politically incorrect, to suggest that men have been given a specific and distinct role uh, as leaders in marriages and in homes. Uh, now, I would say 100% men and women are of equal value and equal importance, but I would also say that they are distinct and different from one another. Uh, when I open my Bible, I read that in the beginning, God created them male and female, male and female, He created them. Different, distinct as part of His unique and perfect plan in creation. And my sense is that because of where, uh, where sort of masculinity is at in the media and in society, I suspect there's a fair few blokes out there today who are pretty uncertain about how to go about being a bloke. 
I don't know if you'd agree with me. Would you, would you agree with me? Yeah. Uh, but I also believe that there is a God-honoring, God-glorifying, God-imitating way to be a man that's revealed through the Word. And so in the midst of what we're facing today, I believe it is so important that men capture not just a, a reactionary way or, or a kind of following the world's way or, or pushing against it, but actually find God's way to be a man. That's the right way. And so one of my great desires, and as I share this message today, it's, it's timely because it's Father's Day, but I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to share it, is, is one of my great desires is to see men rise up in their families and in their marriages and in the community and in our church to be who they are meant to be in the fullest and most uh, godly and, and uh, right sense of the word. So that's what I'm sharing about this morning. I'm going to share a message uh, titled, Five Qualities of a Great Dad. Five Qualities of a Great Dad. And I want to look to a, a father in the Bible um, who, as a particular focus as I go through this. And as I think Nat said, there's many fathers in the Bible, many of them not necessarily great biological, uh, great examples of being a biological father. Um, so I'm going to look a little higher than an earthly father and, and look particularly at God as Father, uh, our Heavenly Father. And uh, Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And it says we are children of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So as God's children, we look up to our Heavenly Father as the prime and perfect example of fatherhood. And, uh, and we sit in that position as children of God, seeking to imitate God as our loving Father. So let's get into these first five, and I'm going to have my first little uh, sip of water. So the first uh, word that I came up with in, uh, in true preacher fashion, I'm, I'm, I'm using the letter P for all five, because that's always the easiest word if you're going to go with a single letter. So I think fathers are, are called to be protectors, are called to be protectors. When we look at God the Father, in, uh, in the book of Joshua, the Israelite people gathered together and as they reflected on the whole journey of God, leading them out of Egypt and through the desert, uh, they said of this, uh, they said, the people themselves said, He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if my children could reach adulthood and could say of me, he protected us on our entire journey through all the challenges of life and teenage years and everything that life threw at me. If they would reflect that of me, I would be so uh, thankful um, and pleased if they could speak that of me. What would it look like for us to be a protector of our children and our families and our marriages? Uh, when I do um, 
uh, marriage preparation with a couple, one of the things I talk about these days is that I think it's great that if, uh, you know, a couple don't have to stick to set roles. You know, you don't have to say, well, you're a man, so you have to do this, that, and the other, and you're a wife, so you have to do this, that, and the other in terms of, you know, the ironing or the vacuuming or putting the bins out or mowing the lawns. You know, we don't have to stick to set roles in that. And yet, I would suggest this, guys, husbands, fathers, when you're lying in bed and you hear that noise in the night and you think that there might be someone in the house, it is not right then to have that discussion and say, hey, I'm a modern man, you know? I don't like to stick to traditional roles, honey. Off you go, you know? I'm quite comfortable. Uh, no, there is, there is a place that you have as a husband that it is your time and your place to go in those situations. But interestingly, I don't have to preach to try and tell you that. Because I'm going to suggest here that every man in this room, I'm hoping, but I believe this would be true, would know in that situation there's something wired into them that would say, I am going to be the one that goes. Because I am the protector of my family. I'm the protector of my household. And so I'm going to go in that situation. You don't need me to preach that to you. It's hardwired into you. There's something into you that says, I'm a protector of my family. Would that be true? I'm hoping wives are nodding their head here in this moment. But it's not just that moment in the middle of the night when you need to be a protector. Fathers... You need to be a protector of your family and your children at all times. There are so many times and situations when you need to step in and be a protector of your children. And sometimes it's easy to think about that role when you've got a, a young preschool child, right? If they're going to run out onto the road, there's no question about the role that you're going to take there in being a protector of them. You're going to, you're going to grab them and you're going to hold them and say, no, no, you're going to protect them. But as they hit older teenage years, that becomes a grey area and a trickier space because children begin to have increasing freedom and that's natural and you've got to understand and release them to that. You can't sort of lock your teenager in a room for the next 10 years and keep them safe by doing that. That's called um, illegal. Um, <laughs> but with growing freedom, there needs to be still you playing the role as a protector. Too many parents, too many fathers want to take the easy road and they want to handle the decisions of parenting through those tricky stages to their wife. Or they want to just be the coolest dad on the block who's the, the best mate of their, of their child. Who think that, so the child grows up thinking my kid's so cool because they never hear the word no. And part of your role as a protector is to be very active in the decisions of parenting your teenage child particularly through decisions around social media, around the parties that they go to, around what they see and what they hear and what they're exposed to. The easiest thing as a parent is to say yes, but that's not the role of a protector as a father. You've got to make the decision when... Uh, when, you're, when your child's saying, man, I want to go to this party and I want to do that and I want to see this. And when they're saying, hey, all my friends get to do this. And I, I'm, I'm, to be honest, 
Uh, when I think about a, a role of, I'm, I've got one kid that's 13, so I'm, I'm kind of, some of you are far more advanced in working through this. But I also look and I see many parents not playing this role. Uh, I remember um, hearing from, uh, from one parent uh, who's, who's in the room uh, right now, who, who shared with me about their child who had hit, uh, perhaps out, hit the adult years, 18, 19, who, had ref- who shared with them, having um, gone through difficult years where she had complained over and over again that they were too strict and that other kids got it better and that, that, that they were the, the toughest parents and the strictest parents who got to the age of 19 or 20 and said to them, Mum and Dad, I want to thank you for the boundaries you put in place. I now understand what you did and I'm so thankful for what you did. That's after years of saying, why are you doing this and why can't I do that and why can't I do this? Because they recognised they had a role as a protector of their child. And fathers, as your children grow up, do not handle that responsibility take that responsibility on. You are a protector. The second thing you are is a provider. You're a provider. There's this crazy story in Genesis chapter 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac, when God calls uh, Abraham to, as a test of his obedience, to go up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. And so he, uh, he takes him up, and uh, when they get there, um, they get things ready for this sacrifice on, a, on, a, on an altar. And um, Isaac's not like a two-year-old. Isaac's a, a grown child, uh, maybe even a young adult or a teenager. We don't know exactly. But Isaac sort of says, well, um, we've got everything ready for the sacrifice, but, but where's, where's the lamb that's going to be sacrificed? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And uh, anyway, they, uh, the story goes on and Abraham grabs Isaac and, and um, gets him ready and he's about to sacrifice Isaac as his test of obedience. Abraham believes that God, if, if uh, Abraham, Isaac gets sacrificed, will just raise him from the dead. It says, but the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And the angel said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. So he went over to the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And this is where we get the name Jehovah Jireh, God, my, God the provider, God my provider, God is my provider, the Lord will provide. You know, Jesus said, uh, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake, or, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then know you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The Bible repeatedly uses this imagery of fathers and sons and children and and fathers and makes the point that God is our provider. It is God's joy and blessing to provide for us. 
and it tells us that over and over again. And so in the same way, fathers, you have a role to be a provider in your family, to be a provider. That is part of your role and responsibility is to be a provider. Now, immediately, when I say that, I suspect that most fathers have clicked into gear and they're thinking, that means I've got to be the financial provider to my family. And that's what I'm saying. Well, I think there's a a role to contribute in that space, but I know that most men uh, hold that role pretty seriously and take that uh, that very much to heart and, and do that. So I'm going to suggest something else. You need to provide something far more than financially in your family. You need to be a provider not so much in finance, but in so many other areas in your family. You need to be a provider, I'm going to suggest three words. You need to be a provider of affection, you need to be a provider of attention, and you need to be a provider of affirmation to your spouse and to your children. You need to be a provider of affection, of attention, and of affirmation. You know how many problems in marriages and how many problems in parenting with troubled children would be solved by uh, a parent, a father, not saying, well, my child is the problem or not saying my wife is the problem, but saying, I'm going to pour affection and I'm going to pour attention and I'm going to pour affirmation on my wife or on my child and then would see a change in that relationship. The complexity, relationships are incredibly complex things. Marriages, parent-child relationships. I'm not going to pretend they're simple, but I'm going to tell you that providing affection, attention and affirmation has a profound effect. You know that daughters need to know the love and affection and attention and affirmation of a father? I believe that daughters long for the, the loving arms of a man in their life. And that first man should be a father or if not a father, a father figure, a grandfather or someone who's there in case of single parent families. And indeed, if they don't have the affection of a man, they're going to spend their whole life longing for the affection of a man. And they'll often look for that in the wrong kind of man. And actually, the same is true for sons. They need affection just as much as daughters. There was a ridiculous thinking where you'd make boys tough by not showing them affection so that fathers would hug their daughters but never hug their sons. That's a ridiculous. And actually that, uh, that leaves boys wanting affection too and growing up longing for affection or looking for to try to be a man in the wrong ways. One of my best decisions, I haven't made necessarily all good decisions in my life, but uh, from about the age of three or four, I've gone away every year on a one-on-one overnight camping trip with my sons. And we just go away and we go camping for the night. Uh, we do something and uh, that's become a precious time for my kids. And um, with my daughter, uh, one of our main connecting points is playing Barbies. <laughs> I play Barbies with my daughter and it was interesting because I got a card from her today and she wrote on that various things about me. And one of those was the thing I love to do with my dad. She wrote playing Barbies. And there you go. That was already in my sermon and she wrote that. I don't know what playing Barbies is all about. Um, Barbie always just wants to go off to some party. She's got to dress up. There's always a prince involved. 
it's repetitive. It's the same thing every time. But I have to be there. I often, like, get to be Ken. And... <laughs> I have to concentrate so hard. It's so easy to be distracted in that moment. But affection, attention, and affirmation... The provision of those things in the lives of your children and your wife will have a profound impact on them. I don't think there'd be a child out there or a wife out there who would say deep down, if they're being honest, no, I don't really value, I don't really need uh, any affection. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like more affection or I wouldn't like more attention or I wouldn't like more affirmation. So you are called to be a protector and you are called to be a provider the third thing I believe that you're called to be as a, as a, a godly uh, father and a great father is to be a prophet. Now, what does a prophet do? In Scripture, a prophet has two main, main roles. A prophet speaks the Word of God to people who hear, need to hear God's truth. So often in the Old Testament, the prophet would come to the people of Israel when they had turned away and they were distracted or they were turning to other gods and he would come and he would bring the truth of God. He would remind them and bring them back to the reality of God and the need to, the, that they should be honouring God and, and glorifying God and he would be the one who would be bringing uh, his people back to that uh, truth and that reality. And you know what? I believe that's what fathers should be doing all the time. Fathers should be coming and saying, hey, family, uh, you know, that scripture, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord. I believe fathers have got a wonderful primary leading role in being the person who will bring the Word of God and the truth of God and the centrality of God to that family. And so, fathers, we've got to think about how we're going to do that. We've got to take that responsibility on. The other thing that prophets do is prophets speak of a future reality before it has come into being. Prophets speak of the future before the future has come into being. Fathers, I want to encourage you. I believe that it is an incredibly powerful thing when a father speaks uh, words of future into the present uh, for their children. When they speak words of life and hope and possibility over their children. When they say, hey child, you're in this space, but I can see that you can be this. I can see that your future can look like this. I can see that this is where you can be. This is what God has for you. This is what is possible for you. The opposite of that is when fathers have spoken words of condemnation over, the ch over their children that say stuff like, you'll never amount to anything. You're hopeless. That's a word about your future. Because hope, hope is set in the future. You're hopeless. You'll never amount to anything. You're an idiot. You're annoying. There are many children profoundly and deeply wounded by the words of their fathers. How much greater is it if you can be the person who can change that cycle and be someone who says, I am, uh, if you've had a difficult childhood, uh, you break that cycle. Or if you've had a, a blessed and fortunate situation in terms of the words spoken of you, whatever the case, you say, hey, I am going to be the one who, as a, like a prophet, speaks the future over the life of my children. And says, I see this in you. 
I see this possibility in you. What an awesome thing. What an awesome blessing you can be. Um, so the prophet, the prophet to speak those words. Uh, here's a fourth one. And the fourth one is uh, to be a prayer. A prayer, not a prayer, but a prayer. We read that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We also know that Jesus essentially had an ongoing conversation with his father. His whole life was a conversation uh, with, his, with his father. So I'm going to only touch on this briefly, but I just want to comment that what a powerful and significant thing it is if actually men start praying. Because very often uh, it is women who lead prayer in churches. And that's a wonderful blessing to have women who are faithful prayers and, uh, and, and are, are faithful and take a lead in that. But equally, wouldn't it be wonderful to have more men who are willing to pray for their children, for their families, for their brothers in Christ. You know, it is a powerful thing when you see men praying for each other. You get a situation where men can actually speak words of life and pray over uh, each other. That famous verse from 2 Chronicles, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and will heal their land. Do you know why I think blokes don't often pray as much as women? The reason I believe is because blokes kind of have this thing wired into them, which says, I'm going to be the solution to the problem myself. Right? We like to solve problems. You know, it's like if you see a bloke back in the days before Google Maps or TomTom, and, and he was lost, you know, driving in the car, Guys never want to get directions, right? They just be like, where are we going? The wife's saying, the guy's like, oh, yeah, we, I know the way. He's driving around, he's lost. Let's ask someone for directions. No, no, I've got this. We're just taking the scenic route. I, I know where we're going. Uh, haven't we been around this way before? Yeah, but that's just all part of my plan, you know? Guys don't want to seek help. It's a, it's a male thing. And, and uh, there's, there's media campaigns now trying to push against that to get guys to actually speak up and say, you know what, I need help. If you need help as a guy for any reason, whether it's a medical thing, an emotional thing, a mental thing, my encouragement, I'm getting off the track here, but you've got to speak up. You've got to talk to someone. You know, we're just, this is off the track here, we're just talking before about the horrific and terrible rate of Suicide amongst men in Australia. And that's so often because men feel they can't speak up and they bottle it in. So we've got we to speak up. And one of the ways that we can powerfully speak up is to speak to each other when we're in need, but in all situations to pray to God and not think that I'm going to be the solution to my own problems. Dependence on God. The last one is this. It is to be a pattern a pattern. Well, you know what I'm talking about there if you were here uh, last week, I think it was when I preached from Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. The world sets us a pattern 
And that pattern is very, very powerful in shaping how we live our lives and the decisions that we make. But do you know, there is a more powerful pattern at play on, in the lives of young children as they're growing up. And that pattern is most, uh, the most important pattern influencing young children is going to be their father. Is going to be their father. You, if you are a father, are a pattern to your child. You are a pattern to your child. Uh, there's a saying which, uh, I don't know whether I just made this up or I just remembered it, but it says this, when all is said and done, what is done matters more than what is said. Has anyone heard that before? I don't know, because that just came to me. So I don't know if that's my inspiration or I was just remembering a quote that I've heard. When all is done, said and done, what is done matters more than what is said. What you model what you model, your children are following. And I don't know if that's exciting for you or terrifying, but it's true. My father was a golf-playing, football-loving, church-going, hard-working, generous man, committed to being involved in his local community and uh, committed to serving God through the local church. Gee, that sounds familiar. <laughs> and I at no point in my life ever said to myself, Gee, I want to be just like my dad. He's a great role model. I'm going to follow after him. I never said that. I never even thought that. But I just was influenced by his pattern of my life. Now, there's fathers here who say, uh, I never want to follow the pattern. Well, there's, there's men here who say, I never want to follow the pattern of my father. And I would say, you don't have to. And you can set by the power of God a new pattern for your family and your life. You can break that generational thing. Okay? You don't have to be the same pattern as your father. You're not bound to that. But I do want to say that fathers have an influential, very influential uh, role in their children's life. Do you know, just in terms of something around church attendance, um, there's been some major studies done, huge studies around the role of fathers and their attendance at church and the influence on their children. And so a huge um, study done... Uh, incorporating Baptists in, in um, America and the Lutheran Church, as well as some European churches, they found this one study found that if a father does not go to church, even if the wife does, then only one in 50 children will grow up to be regular worshippers. There's other studies that aren't quite as extreme, but the highest percentage that they found was 18%. 18%, if the mother went to church but the father didn't. On the other hand, when the father regularly went to church and the mother didn't, 66% of those children would grow up to be regular church attenders. And when both a father and mother regularly and consistently attended church, 75% of their children would grow up to go to church regularly. So it's a powerful statistic. You know, all that's said and done... All that you might say, in the end, what you do has a powerful impact on the lives of your children. Now, God is not uh, bound by statistics, so you keep praying whatever your situation, and, and, and I don't want anything that I've said in terms of those statistics, I don't want them to be a, a condemnation. You think, well, this is how a situation has to play out in my family, because God's in the power of doing things that are outside of the norm. But you keep praying and keep faithful and in the way that you can be a model 
a pattern that your children will want to follow of a godly man of God. But Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That is your task. So let me conclude by saying this. Uh, there's, a, there's a song, uh, the theme for this sermon was called Men of Faith Rise Up. And uh, that, that's a song taken from an old delirious, uh, a line taken from an old delirious song, Shout to the North, if anyone knows that one. Men of faith, rise up and sing. To the great and glorious King, you are strong when you feel weak, in your brokenness complete. Shout to the North and the South, sing to the East and the West. Jesus is Saviour savior for all, Lord of heaven and earth. We need some men who are, want to shout out and declare that Jesus is Lord in their lives. So fathers, uh, I don't share any of that to condemn you this morning. I don't know if you hear that and you go, man, I'm just uh, struggling as a father, or I'm terrible as a father or whatever it is. I want to share that to encourage you that, that you might rise up and take your place as a father, as a grandfather, as a man, as a person in this church. So I, I, as, we, as we look at those words, I don't know if there's one of those particularly that stands out to you. Um, but I, I want to give an opportunity this morning before we go into our last song for us to actually get around and pray for some of our fathers. Okay? So this isn't for, doesn't have to be every father, um, but I'm just going to give an opportunity in a second. I'm going to say that if you're a father here and you would like to be prayed for, then I'm just going to ask you to stand up in a second, okay? And uh, maybe just one or two people around those fathers will... Uh, then just gather around them and we're just going to have a few minutes praying for them just as the, as the band plays. Uh, because I, I know as a father, personally, uh, I, need all the, I need all the help and prayer I can get. Because I, I stand up here and preach, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a perfect father. And uh, um, I do stuff and, and I'm not, everything that I preached, I'm not saying uh, I live out perfectly. Uh, I have a heart and desire to be a godly father. And so I need God's help in that as much as the next person. So not everyone um, uh, loves to be prayed for and whatever, so not, you don't have to do this. But I'm going to say this, that uh, right now, if you want to be prayed for as a father in this room, I'm going to ask that you just, right where you are, uh, on the count of three, I'm going to ask that you stand up. Okay, and then the people around you, I just want them to gather around, and we're going to go straight into it, just going to pray for two or three minutes, and then we're going to sing, okay? You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.